Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale, providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com slash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron for Cloud News this week. Before we jump into Cloud News, though, I just want to let everyone know we've got a fantastic interview with the folks over at Datadog about database monitoring and observability. And we're going to be getting to that right after the Cloud News. Let's jump right into cloud news. First of all, I think this has been a pretty big one, at least in the enterprise tech space. Microsoft, um, Azure, finally some numbers came out. Um, maybe not publicly, but uh, some numbers came out. Uh, there was antitrust regulations here in the US and there's some court proceedings going on. And as part of that, in the discovery process, one of the documents actually not redacted, and it showed Azure revenue. And it was lower than a lot of folks thought because if you're not familiar with why this is news and why this is important, historically they lump everything into what they call the intelligent cloud group, which lumps Azure and a lot of the SaaS services and even like SQL server and Windows server revenue. Um, and it's been a little bit of an opaque view there's been a, just a complete lack of transparency. And it turns out it isn't as big as everyone thought. And so what is this going to do for investors going forward? Not 100% sure yet, but their revenue was about $34 billion against AWS at about $72 billion. And so number two, but still maybe a more distant number two than some folks had thought or hoped. And so we will see what happens with this going forward. In our second uh, news article this week, DigitalOcean acquires cloud computing startup Paperspace, um, and they bought them for $111 million cash. Now, there's a couple different things that really jumped out at me about this one. So first of all, DigitalOcean, fantastic. I'm glad to see them really staying in the game here and really embracing developer-focused cloud computing services in particular. And it turns out uh, Paperspace, one of their investors was actually DigitalOcean founder. Um, and a lot of the infrastructure that they used was already developed there. So it was a really good fit between the two of them. But it allows them to build out uh, the services that allow allows um, customers to do 
generative media or large language models uh, all on DigitalOcean. So I think this is a really good fit for both of them and uh, looking forward to how they will combine this. It's going to be operated as an independent business unit and, and standalone to start, but we all know how those go. After a couple of years, they kind of get folded in typically. So we'll see, but certainly wish them luck going forward. And even though this is more of probably consumer tech for our last new news article versus enterprise tech, it is definitely worth talking about. Um, I've made no secret. I've gotten off of Twitter and, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Elon Musk and what he's done with the company, but Instagram, Instagram released threads and it has taken off. Now, when you have a user base of multiple billions of users, it's no surprise, right? But Instagram's threads app reaches 100 million users in just five days as of the time we're recording this. And who knows, it'll probably be even bigger by the time we publish this and, and you listen to this. But I, I would say it's, you know, it's success. I've played around with the app. Um, it's definitely MVP kind of app. There's a lot of things there and some basic functionality that they've said isn't there. Uh, and it is going to be coming in the future. No direct messages, no hashtags, no following feed, no chronological order. A lot of things that are, you know, maybe will be necessary for the app to continue to grow uh, going forward. But it is nice to see someone taking a crack at this. And probably one of the biggest advantages of something like this over, say, a Mastodon or some of these others is there's a user base built into it. Now, how that being able to curate your feed to what you want to see, because right now it's just a bit of everything, um, will be the key probably to their next stage of not just growth, but retention going forward. So that's going to wrap up cloud news for this week. And as I mentioned earlier, coming up after the break, we have Jonathan and Jason over at Datadog, and we're going to be talking specifically about database monitoring and observability. Introducing G-Core Managed Kubernetes, the ultimate solution for streamlined Kubernetes management. Experience support for bare metal nodes and a robust 99.9 .9 uptime SLA at no extra cost. Easily provision Kubernetes clusters with a single click using our intuitive dashboard, API, or Terraform. Seamlessly integrate with G-Core external DNS and easily provision block volumes for your storage requirements. And of course, stay up to date with the latest Kubernetes versions. Plus, we have an exclusive offer for you. Click the link in the show notes and use the promo code CLOUDCAST and receive a 100-pound credit to try G-Core services today. Use the promo code CLOUDCAST and receive a $100 credit with G-Core services today. Today's show is sponsored by Equinix. We all utilize multiple cloud providers, and we know they aren't built to work well together. Things get a whole lot more complex when your hybrid infrastructure needs to connect with your multi-cloud portfolio. Equinix is the world's digital infrastructure company, providing on-demand infrastructure in over 25 metros with hands-free provisioning and management, all connected to over 240 data centers and most major cloud providers. Equinix can help you deal with increasingly complex architectures, whether you want to run your favorite Kubernetes distribution or connect workloads between different cloud providers. To learn more, sign up at deploy.equinix.com and use the coupon code CLOUDCAST, C-L-O-U-D-C-A-S-T, to get $500 in credits to get started today. That's deploy.equinix.com and use the coupon code CLOUDCAST and get those first $500 in credits today. And we're back. And 
Folks, if you listen to the show for a while uh, over the years, you know that we've always been fascinated with various types of databases. Obviously, databases play a incredibly crucial role in every application that we build. And uh, there are lots and lots of different types of databases out there, whether you're looking at SQL, NoSQL, time series, graph, all sorts of things that are out there. And one of the things that we've, you know, we've focused a lot on is understanding the databases, why they were built, how they're built, um, you know, how to design around them. But one of the things we've never really focused on is how do you go about monitoring those databases? How do you make sure that they are uh, in good health, that they're running at peak performance? You know, how do we kind of keep up with them? How do we look at them historically and all those sort of things? And so we thought that'd be an interesting thing to really dig into, especially as we're seeing uh, more and more data being used for lots of applications, more and more types of applications being built. And so really excited today to have some experts help us dig into that. So very excited to have Jonathan Morin, who is product lead, and Jason Manson-Hing, who is product manager, both of them at Datadog, focusing on database monitoring and uh, everything in that area. So very, very excited to have uh, both Jonathan and Jason. Uh, Jonathan, I'm going to get started with you. And then Jason, I'm going to kind of throw it over to you in terms of really understanding your background, uh, what you've been working on in the past, and also what you focus on today at Datadog. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Yeah, um, my my uh, career arc here started really in networking uh, a little ways back, kind of actually on the consulting side within Telco. So like in 2003, working with Telcos uh, from the UNH IOL lab. Uh, and then I worked in Germany for a consultancy over there. Um, so really in networking infrastructure for Telcos. But, you know, as the industry evolved, um, I kind of followed the trend and, you know, evolving from infrastructure uh, to applications which, I mean, ultimately <laughs> makes you realize central infrastructure continues to be for applications. But um, at, from there, went to VMware, where I transitioned beyond networking into the kind of the broader landscape and also got into cloud cost optimization for a while um, at the cloud health part of VMware. And then more recently came to Datadog. Actually, after some time at cloud health, just churning through just terabytes of this cost and billing data for customers and realizing how many of today's valuable applications deal with so much data and how critical these data systems are and how tough it is to get good monitoring on some of these data systems was really compelled by the opportunity to come work on that broader landscape of problems at Datadog. Um, so in, yeah, database monitoring and more recently data streams monitoring uh, is my focus here at Datadog. Interesting. Interesting. Jason, how about you? Yep. So I'm Jason. Um, I've been a PM here at Datadog for four years. Um, my background before was a little bit of software engineering and then a lot of products at Datadog. I've been on the APM team, so our application performance monitoring, um, focusing on our distributed tracing. And then I got to start and launch our database monitoring products a couple years back and have been working on that since. It's an interesting space being both on the application side um, and then seeing how these challenges both translate to our um, application engineers who are looking at monitoring their databases, but also embracing the other space of you know, database administrators or, or people who are very intimately uh, familiar with database and trying to balance um, the needs and challenges of both groups. Yeah, no, it, it's awesome. We always enjoy when, uh, you know, we've got people who have who have lived with it and they, they sort of are so passionate about what they're doing that they, they want to go, you know, own the product, improve the product, um, build those sort of things. So that's very, very cool. Guys, let's, let's just start uh, kind of at a high level talking about database monitoring. Lots of different types of databases that are out there. Obviously, uh, you know, SQL and, and NoSQL databases probably are the things that people are most familiar with, especially SQL. But there's, you know, there's graph databases, time series, um, all sorts of, you know, document databases. 
as you're thinking about uh, you know building systems that that monitor databases, do you have to think about them uniquely about the type of database, or are there certain patterns and characteristics that are kind of common amongst all databases that that you start with? How do you you know how do you go about thinking about monitoring databases given that you know we no longer live in just a SQL world? Yeah, I can take this one. So definitely, you're right. There are a lot of different types of databases. You mentioned SQL databases, graph databases, time series, vector databases, and, and everything. When we talk about performance, there's definitely a, a commonality or a common baseline between you know, performance, understanding where you can gain efficiencies in performance and storage and compute. Um, but as we focus on specific t- technologies, there's definitely a lot of almost bespoke things that individual users or power users really care about um, when you really go into the weeds of not only uncovering what is slow or what could be improved, but also how in the, the many different ways um, that could contribute to the performance there. Um, so in SQL, you know, there could be a lot of work around tables and whatnot, but there could also be access patterns or um, even configuration settings on the database. And as you get more in the weeds, I think it becomes very specialized to the, the databases. And so while we're approaching the space or looking at the space, we want to both do what people are accustomed to and, and highlight performance, but also really give them the ability to and think about how we can present avenues to get to these root causes um, and really be a specialized tool um, as well. Nice, nice. And, and you know, as you're, Jason, I guess, as, as you're designing systems, do you find you have to get deeper and deeper into each one of those or do you find that at some point, you know, what kind of what what's available there? You know, what, like where do people typically ask you to kind of tweak them? You know, what you can monitor more so, you know, deeper into SQL or into time series and so forth. Is it, it does it kind of come over time, or are are people really passionate about where they need better insights from a monitoring perspective? Yeah, it's a bit of both. You know, when we look at specific technologies, even within relational databases, for example. Um, you know, vacuum monitoring for Postgres could be one area that, you know, is unique to that um, database, but, you know, TempDB monitoring for SQL Server could be another one. Um, and over time, these emerge as areas that the folks we work with um, want more clarity in or more detail and insights into. And so I think it comes out where, you know, everyone cares about how fast things are running, how much memory, how much compute. Um, but then when we really get into the weeds with the the power users who are doing these kinds of investigations, it becomes more apparent the the kinds of things that we need to focus on. Um, and so there's definitely a baseline, but there's also almost infinity room to to go you know down specific rabbit holes to get really as much information and even within a certain type of technology, so relational, for example. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Makes sense. Jonathan, um, given the importance of of you know, we we talked at the beginning about database performance being, you know, so critical, it it, it impacts you know, not only compute usage, memory usage, but also overall experience. Like, are you finding, uh, whether it's DBAs or the application developers are, are thinking about monitoring earlier in their design process? Like it's, it's part of it, or do you still typically find them, they, they, they build the systems and then they're sort of adding the monitoring capabilities to it after the fact, is that shifted at all over time? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I think as just increasingly every company becomes a software and tech company, uh, yes, there are organizations who, uh, of course, have deep DBAs and in the best cases, maybe are even consulting with DBAs, especially for larger architectural redesigns. But 
of course, there are so many also of these instances where folks are just trying to get a new digitization or new software project off the ground. And exactly how they're going to monitor the database is not the first thing they're thinking about. <laughs> it's something that comes much later, maybe maybe later than uh, they wish uh, it, it, it really really was in the end. So that I think that's okay. We we just try to take that as a given and try to accommodate for all the various situations. And exactly like Jason was saying, you know, um, when you have those DBAs who speak the language and know the innards uh, and are just continuing to learn more about these super complex systems that are Postgres and something like SQL Server, um, that can supercharge your efforts. At the same time, being able to demystify a lot of the problems that can happen in, in what is to so many developers, the black box of the database and signal that to the developer and the developer's tools, that can also supercharge the efforts to more quickly troubleshoot or, or just get a more more lean and more efficient application uh, or database serving multiple application. So we feel a little bit pulled in both directions, but also see great power in that if you're able to, if you're able to do both, if you're able to, you know, give the DBA the kind of insights they're used to, but also um, put a little bit of a simplification and a bow around it for the, for the app devs who don't, don't know what a database wait event is or what to do about a blocking scenario. Do, do you find that more like the, the users, the usage of, of the Datadog tools typically tend to be more the DBAs, I mean, especially around the, you know, the database monitoring space, or is it the application teams? Or I always found that as I was looking at, at the various database uh, Datadog offerings, they felt very collaborative, you know, where they, mm. the expectation was like multiple teams would be looking at the same data, trying to resolve problems. How, who do you tend to find uses the, the tools most or you know, has that sort of evolved as we, we have these more blurred teams uh, these days? I mean, you're right about, I mean, that's exactly Datadog's mission is to try to bring this data in the same place in a really consumable way for multiple teams and multiple use cases and multiple parts of your infrastructure um, because of the value that can that can really have when that all comes together. Super hard to do that, though. So sure. it's just a constant journey. If you go if you go back before we launched database monitoring, which actually Jason really launched, and I'll have more to say here. You know, I'm I'm a little bit newer to the party. Uh, the background of Datadog is, I think, uh, infra teams, app dev teams using infrastructure monitoring, using you know APM, and I think it was just we got encouraged more and more to just like address the, that that go go deeper on the database side. Um, and so I guess it's a long way of saying both. It really is both. I think our background is more there, but as DBM launched, um, being able to collaborate more and more and even more closely with DBA since, and that's just an ongoing journey to bring in some of the deeper database best practices into the tool. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Jason, I'm going to ask you sort of sort of broad question. What do you find are the most common challenges that people have? And then maybe the, the flip side of that, like, what are what are some of the most difficult things to to troubleshoot? Like, what do you you know where, where are the real you know everyday pain points that that you guys help people just sort of you know solve low hanging fruit? And then what are just the you know really really tough things that um, you know Datadog services help people kind of see better, have better visibility into? Yep, for sure. So within the realm of what are common challenges, I think everyone would probably empathize with the pain of you know, what are the slowest queries or what are the ones taking the most time to execute? Um, databases being at the core of many applications um, at the very end of requests, 
you know, a slow query will bubble up everywhere and everyone will feel the pain of a slow query. And so typically in terms of optimization, um, finding things that are slow and working through the list of your top poorest performing queries or queries that could um, be run faster, especially if they're being executed, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of times a day or an hour, whichever time frame. Um, that's probably the most common one um, that we encounter. A lot of the adjacent uh, problem solving around this comes from, you know, is it because a lot of data is being returned? Um, is there something in the network? Are we doing inefficient um, query uh, joins, lookups, and whatnot? I think these all stem from that understanding of really the performance on a database is what people care about. And so that's the, the common challenge. In a similar sense, the to your second question about you know what is most difficult or hardest to do in this space is there's really no like a silver bullet around understanding what's going on. Um, you know these are databases are complex; they're getting more complex. The space has been evolving for for decades, and it could be something as simple as you were querying for a lot of data, or the table is just really big, or it could be some combination of a noisy neighbor from an application deployment uh, produced some downstream effect that your other application from a completely unrelated team just happens to be feeling the impact for. And so really what we hope to do with the tooling that we're producing is giving our users and anyone really trying to investigate these database issues the right tools to explore and understand you know, what's involved, who could be causing these issues. Um, and to Jonathan's point earlier about there's so many different types of users um, with different levels of database expertise looking at these problems as well. Um, you know, sometimes it could be a DBA who is very familiar with the workflows, but it could also be someone who is very loosely querying a database. And so we need to also be mindful of not just you know showing everything at one time and overwhelming a user, but also matching the level of depth at the appropriate step. Um, so that people don't get overwhelmed by the amount of information that we do have. Right. Uh, because really, these database investigations can get very uh, in the weeds. And so we want to empower people to take those actions and, and troubleshoot things themselves, as opposed to just giving them everything and, and not really helping them through their problems. So I think it's it's a, it's a complex problem um, right. that troubleshooting happens to be so difficult. Um, yeah, it's the it's the constant trade off of of uh, I I would love to have all the information in the world, but when the you know when the logs are just nothing but red and you're not sure okay which one do I prioritize which one is a false positive you know like you can overwhelm people too so it's yeah I'm sure it's that that constant I want to get into it as much as I can but I also at some point need to take an action on things and I, I need the system to help me figure out how to prioritize it how to get to things faster. It definitely, and especially in the situation of incidents or, or responding to things as they're happening, there could be many things that are problematic, but what we know is that people ultimately want to be nudged towards, you know, what is actually wrong and what do I have to change or what process do I need to end or um, what setting do I need to change to, to make this problem you know, go away now? And then how can I improve what we've done or what we've set up so that we don't have this problem again? Yeah. I guess as a follow-up to that, um, for either one of you guys, like how much do you find people, especially around, uh, you know, DB monitoring, like how much of it is, has to be done in real time, right? Like somebody is complaining about something, maybe you launched a product or 
you know, you're somebody like Ticketmaster and Taylor Swift uh, thing just happened. And then how much time do people tend to spend kind of historically looking at things like, okay, we, we figured that out, we're doing postmortems, or we're just, you know, kind of looking to baseline the system? Like, is it is it sort of 50-50 or do people spend more time, you know, kind of looking at things historically? How, how do you find that tends to shake out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think one way to think about it is situations and use cases, but, but I'll try to make broad buckets so we don't have an endless list. Sure. One is what you said, uh, like we have a really critical, um, I don't know, sale this weekend or Ticketmaster sale or there's a critical event and we're watching very closely. Okay, so that's one scenario where people are going to tune in whether there's a problem or not just to make sure everything's smooth. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where, yes, incident response, something is burning, people are waking up in the middle of the night um, and wish, wishing maybe they caught it earlier. Um, then there's the cases where, okay, you did you did catch it uh, earlier because maybe you've you've come to that level of maturity or you have somebody experienced on the team who knows, you know, not just not isn't waiting for the absolute worst signal like queries are failing or um there's this long line of blocked queries behind this query or you know something where it's kind of too late but have implemented some predictive metric or some metric that that is is saying hey when average active sessions get to this point i I at least just want to take a look just for my own comfort um but that's not always um i don't know something this either a practice folks have in place or they just don't have the luxury of having the time to have that kind of visibility. So that's like three. And then four might be, um, and I'm, surprisingly this actually happens. And this is great. Um, just ongoing optimization. So pre, like preemptive, I don't know whether they're carving out a couple hours a week or some executive said, Hey, fine cost savings. Um, folks are just going back without any problems any discrete problems being there saying, what can I do to optimize the queries my application uh, sends to the database? And maybe they don't actually don't care about the database as much as they do um, uh, application performance. But in a lot of cases, you know, especially talking about those uh, like cloud first digitization projects where you may not have an infrastructure or DevOps team or platform team or DBA team supporting you. You just had to spin up the database and you own it. Uh, and then somebody's knocking on the door and saying, hey, what are you doing about the cost of this thing? And you say, oh, okay, I'll spend Friday, you know, trying to optimize the query. So so uh, it's a little bit more optimal, either from a performance side or a cost side. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. Kind of, I guess, following up on that, one of the one of the things with, with any, uh, you know, kind of time sensitive application, you know, where response time really matters or, uh, you know, memory consumption is important. I have to imagine you guys get questions sometimes about, you know, how much, how much monitoring should I do? Right. You know, Jason sort of talked about everybody wants as much information as possible. They want to be able to get as as deep in as possible. But then at some point there's probably have to be trade-offs between, Hey, I want the database to serve data as opposed to maybe necessarily cranking out things for logs. Like, do you guys benchmark? Do you kind of give best best practices or guidance to people about, this is going to sound simplistic, but like how much should you spend on your resources to, to do database things versus, you know, kind of resources allocated to, to being there to help monitor the overall system? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, recently we had this effort and, and, you know, forgive me, we're putting this in the, all in the context of our, 
product work, but sure. all of that is driven by what we see from customers, the kinds of best practices we're trying to build for those customers. But we were we were putting in recommended monitors. Hey, here's the kinds of things you should watch for in a database. And of course, we thought of all sorts of things you can monitor. And it took some discipline to say, well, let's just start with these because they're pretty universal. Um, we want to be sensitive to noise. Um, and you know what? Our, our users are smart. There are folks who don't necessarily need the easy button. And if they need to get more advanced, they will. And we're still like sussing out that balance. But um, I guess that's just to say, like, you know, we advocate for folks putting in the monitors in place. But we, when we do that, we try to be careful not to advocate for too much and too much noise so that the signal is high. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm sure, and again, it's I'm, I'm asking you guys these sort of broad generic questions. I, you know, the answer to a lot of these is going to be, well, it depends. And, uh, you know, at, at one state of of monitoring things, it might be this. And at other, you know, other times it might be that. But um, no, I, I'm always just curious how, like, broadly how you guys think about it from a product team perspective in terms of, you know, where you're, where you're focusing your resources, what things do customers ask you to prioritize? So that's useful. Um, I want to ask you one last question. I know you guys are, are, are busy, so we appreciate the time. Um, you know, it's, it's 2023. We've gone, you know, 25 minutes without mentioning the words or the letters AI. Uh, how much, and maybe it's not generative AI, maybe it's just sort of statistical modeling that you, that you already have in the product, but as as you're thinking about the product going forward, um, how much does you know sort of tools and capabilities that just take care of stuff for people, as opposed to you know people having to to dig through logs and dig through events? Like how much how much sort of just fix it itself are you guys building in uh, that might be using AI under the covers? Yeah, that's a great question, and definitely it is a time where you know this field is is interesting and in how we can apply that to helping our customers be more efficient and be more even proactive about things that they might not have um, been alerting on uh, with things like this. I think to break this down into a couple areas, there is a lot just in terms of anomalous behavior that we're already doing uh, within what we're focusing on, but also just in terms of how people are thinking about their applications or their databases and their queries. So when we look at things that people want to alert on or get alerted of, it's, you know, did was there a large change in the baseline behavior or did some event happen that suddenly has produced a new a new pattern of performance that was not uh, seen before. And to that end, we definitely are doing a lot of that out of the box for you using things like our watchdog uh, tooling that is built off of, you know, anomaly detection and a couple other um, sources of understanding behavior and patterns. And so for us, there's a lot of value even just in doing that kind of work the other thing I wanted to say, though, is that within this space of monitoring databases, knowing that it's been a field that's been evolving for, for decades, there is a lot of work also that we can do without necessarily leaning into, I guess, generative AIs and whatnot. But we can do a lot of pattern analysis on, you know, typically when we see this kind of behavior across um, queries, you know, this is a pattern that we just understand to be in this field, to be slow or optimal, inefficient, and we can provide recommendations using those heuristics as well. So I think there's a balance for us in terms of things that we can do automatically and sort of magically for users, as well as things you can do a lot more deterministically or just based on experience, our experience with databases. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just going to add, I mean, there's just so much opportunity. Uh, as, As Jason said, even just thinking about databases, been around for decades, 
the complexity is still there uh, it, and it still plagues customers and simplifying that is still such a challenge. So what, how we can use AI here, I think, is a huge opportunity just for the industry in general. Right. Um, and, and surely, you know, more of like Datadog's efforts will become more public over time. But um, I think what we also see is the teams using Datadog need to be successful. And so bringing insight to someone either that they don't trust or, or that they don't understand because you didn't bring them on the journey of that conclusion is like just as important as getting like the right signal and, hey, go look at this. Okay, but why? Like, tell me why to look at that. I'm used to looking at X, Y, or Z metric or, or, or thinking about database load in these terms. If you don't show me that first, then I'm not, you know, you're not going to get a reaction out of me jumping to your your conclusion even if the ai has already figured it out right um i mean maybe maybe that leads to other longer term trends of like automating some of these things but in the meantime you know i think uh, and i think for for some i think we should just continue to expect that like people are obviously part of the equation and needing to make them successful is, is a big big focus of ours yeah no I, I it's a really important point i think you highlighted there is um as much as you know, you guys have the, you have the benefit of seeing thousands and thousands of companies, um, you know, like looking at their systems, being able to historically, you know, kind of see what happens. Obviously it influences what product you build, but you're right. Um, it's important that if you, if you have a, a user that maybe doesn't expect you to, to fix something for them, you do essentially have to build that trust with them of like, maybe you're just giving them notifications that say, Hey, this is going on or, you know, other, other things that are pushing them in a direction. But yeah, if you're, you don't just want to sort of take control away from them automatically, even though you're like a thousand times out of a thousand, this is the problem. So yeah, it's an, I, I appreciate you saying that, like, you've got to, you've got to earn the customer's trust, even though in a lot of cases, like you guys are, are the experts at this stuff. So interesting, interesting stuff. Um, I'm going to kind of wrap up with that, uh, guys. If if folks are are interested in kind of learning more about you know kind of database monitoring, this space could be stream monitoring. Uh, what are some good uh, you know good places, good resources for them to to you know kind of engage with and, and get started with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Datadog blog is a good uh, I guess starting point for resources as well as just the Datadog website in general. You can find Jason and I both on LinkedIn. We like to be uh, as engaged as we possibly can with our with the community with our customers. Very good. Very good. And we put some links in the show notes to some of the, the most recent blogs around the things that we talked about today. So, well, Jonathan, Jason, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, really appreciate you, uh, you know, just taking some time out of your schedule to help educate us about, you know, what's going on in this domain. Uh, what are the, the challenges people have? How do you guys go about solving them? So with that, folks, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, on behalf of Aaron and I, I want to thank both Jonathan and Jason for their time today. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for telling a friend about the show, helping us grow the community and with that, we'll wrap it up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 